Welcome to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. I'm entitling my talk uh, this morning, Troublemakers or Generation Changers. Troublemakers or Generation Changers. I know I look 25, but I'm really 15, so, well, let's start by a prayer. Father, we thank you for this morning. Father, we ask that you will speak to everyone, Lord, regardless, Lord, whether we are youth, we are young adults, we are adults, we are parents or grandparents. Father, we believe this word has got eternal implication, and we ask, God, that uh, you will open our hearts, God, to receive not from my words, God, but from the very throne of God. Give us ears to hear. Give us hearts to receive. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, let everyone say, Amen. Amen. I want to start by saying that God is generational. Turn to the person next to you and say, God is generational. All throughout the Bible, God reveals Himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I believe God wants the power and the blessings that He has given to us, whether you are a parent here, you're a grandparent all the blessings, all the encounters that we have growing up, I believe He wants that to be passed on to our children and our children's children. Amen? I'll be speaking on how we can disciple youth, and perhaps you have got no children yet. Perhaps you're still in your young adult's phase. Perhaps you just got married. Perhaps you've got children. Perhaps you have got, you just got pregnant. But I want to speak about discipling youth. I want to... I want to speak to all the parents and all the grandparents. I, I, I want to address also the young adults who will one day get married, have children. I want to speak about discipling the next generation. Let's look at this verse on the screen, please. De- Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 21. Let's read this verse t- t- together. That your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them like the days of the heavens above the earth. The Bible says that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land which the Lord has swore to your fathers. The Bible is very clear that God wants to multiply. Say multiply. Multiply. He wants to multiply His glory from generation to generation. He wants to bring heaven down to earth. And listen, I believe this is so vital because true revival is not just for one group of people from one seat. It's from one season of time. I believe true revival transforms entire culture, ways of thinking, and generational lifestyle. We're seeing that in the Korean pop culture revival. Well, not a good example, but it is transforming an entire civilization. It is transforming the earth. I mean, some of you dress like Koreans, not this. Some of you, your hairstyle is very Korean. The K-pop wave is sweeping across the earth. If you go to Korea today, I mean, Indonesian youth are dressing like Korean pop stars. That's Korean wave. It's called the K-wave. But sadly, when I was in Korea in the last few visits, it is interesting that what Korea was known for in in the last 25 years, they were known for their church. They were known for big mega churches. They were known for their huge Presbyterian churches. They were known for uh, their cell group model. They were known for church growth. And they were known for prayer. The early morning prayer, five in the morning, there will be people who will be gathering in churches across Korea, praying to God for His blessings for revival. If you drive down Seoul in the evening, you will see buildings with crosses. Uh, Amen. Yes, if you look at that, but today that's like something of the past. If you go to a church today, if you go to the biggest church in Korea, I believe it's still Yonggi Cho's church, they've got all kinds of controversies, they've got all kinds of uh, trouble. And if you walk into that church, most of the people attending church are gray hair. I heard from my friends that less than 4% of of Korean youth 25 and younger uh, attending church. And that's very unfortunate. Very unfortunate. Where, where are they at Myeongdang buying you know, the latest uh, products for their face? They are dreaming to become the next celebrity or they want to act in the next K, uh, K movie. But that's an example of a revival, a Korean 
pop culture revival. When I was in my 20s, and I've, and I've shared this many times, but I think it's good to remind myself you know, of the grace God has placed on, on my life. But when I was 20 uh, plus years old, I, I was asked to start a youth ministry. And then we had about 30 teenagers, very young. They were all from uh, church, a bit like our youth group now. All church kids, all in their, all in their teens, all graduated from the gush of uh, that church. And uh, they weren't on fire. They know all the Bible stories. They know Daniel Lyons there. They, they know David killing Goliath. They know Noah's Ark. But they didn't have an encounter with God. And so I inherited this group because there was a need for a youth ministry. And I was pacing up and down the church uh, hall in those days. And I looked at an empty church hall. It was dark. And I asked the Lord. I said, God, uh, can it uh, ever be, be done that this place would, would be full of young people? I was just pacing up and down, and I, I just heard a still small voice of the Holy Spirit, and he said, watch what I can do. Watch what he can do, not what I can do. I can do nothing. I've got no experience running a youth group. In fact, I wasn't even, even a great youth pastor. All I did was I believed in young people. Come on, guys. You can change the world. And, uh, and what God did was just amazing. And, you know, in the last, uh, in my 20s, what God did in that youth group and through that youth group gathering the nation's youth and igniting uh, a fresh move of the Holy Spirit. And I, th I think what that did was it launched uh, forth different ministries, different movements, including Burning Hearts. And I am thankful to the Lord for what He did. I, that's also a little sign of a revival, all right? The surrender and of, a, of a team of leaders. And they weren't perfect leaders. They weren't perfect, trust me. I asked a few of the leaders in the front, and they had their fair share of struggles with my youth leader. So they weren't perfect, but what they did was they give of themselves to young people, and they believe that God can raise up young people to make a difference uh, in their school, in the church, and uh, in the nation, in the nations beyond. In fact, I'm bold to say this, that, that the growth that we're seeing in Cornerstone was really, you know, the spark was really, really the youth ministry, because a lot of parents were coming because of uh, what the youth ministry in Cornerstone was experiencing back in those days. And so I praise God for that. Amen? So that's wonderful. Now, missiologists have coined the, the term 1040 windows, and 1040 windows basically define the geographical region 10 degrees to 40 degrees north of the equator, an area of the globe considered by many to be the least reached, the unreached, if unevangelized region of the world. But can I say that this morning, it is more crucial for us to consider not the 1040 window, but what, what I call, what a lot of people are starting to uh, call the 1330 window. The 1330 windows defines the age group of people between 13 and 30 years old, which is really the greatest harvest field in the world today, I, I believe. The greatest harvest field in the world today. More than 60% of the world are aged 30 and, and under. More than 60%, which means more than 3.5 billion people in the world are 30 years and younger. In Singapore and Hong Kong, one in five of the population is a teenager or a young adult. Now, what's a young adult? The UN defines a young adult as someone between the ages of 19 to 24. So, a lot of young adults here. All right. In China and Taiwan, one in four, 25% of the population is a teenager or a young adult. In Malaysia and Indonesia, the ratio is one in three, 30%. First of all, my friends, this age group is the most open to the gospel. Most of us receive Jesus Christ into our lives before we hit 20 years of age. Just by a show of hands, how many people receive Jesus before they turn 21? Before you turn 25? After 25, you receive Christ after 25. Daryl, Nelson, my parents, very few. So most of us in this room will receive Jesus before we turn 25. Case in point, the 1330 window is ripe for harvest. Amen. Secondly, it is the most important group of people because they are the future of the church and the future of the world. So listen, when you reach the youth, when you reach the young adult, you affect the future of the church and the future of the world. Somebody say amen. Logic. If you get them safe disciple in the ways of Christ, in the kingdom of God, you are affecting the future of Singapore, the future of the region, the future of the world. 
Since since the day of Pentecost, two thousand years ago, God has been pouring out His Holy Spirit upon the youth. I didn't say it. Acts chapter two verse seventeen says, "It shall come to pass in, in the last days that that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams." He has been pouring out His Spirit. On all flesh. I want to say this morning that Satan hates young people. Just in case you don't know, parents, he hates your children. Whether they are a child, four or five years old, they are teenagers, like Titus, Melody, and Mary Beth, Satan hates them. Amen. All throughout the Bible and world history, Listen, the devil has been targeting young people to distract them or to destroy them. Because Satan knows that the 1330 window is the most open to God. He knows that if he gets to the youth first, he will affect the future of humanity. See, when Moses was born, Satan knew that this baby would deliver the Israelites from Egypt. So he inspired Pharaoh to kill the male Hebrew babies. 1,500 years later, the, the ultimate deliverer, Jesus Christ, was born in Bethlehem. And Satan again inspired Herod to do the same, to kill all the babies throughout the land. Is there a reason why there was widespread abortion in our time and age? Because Satan knew the destiny that the next generation has. See, the last 100 years has been called the century of the Holy Spirit. We, we, we have seen more revivals in the last 100 years than the rest of Christendom put together. Waves and waves of the Holy Spirit. God had indeed poured out His Spirit upon all flesh. We've all been inspired by the great stories of the Welsh revival, the Azusa Street outpouring, the charismatic renewal, the Jesus movement, the pr prophetic movement, what God's doing through Bethel, through IHOP. These are waves of revival. YWAM, OM, young people going on missions. God is on the move in the last 100 years. And yet at the same time, Satan made sure that the last 100 years was also also, the bloodiest century in world history. Adolf Hitler raised up millions of youth in World War II that killed six million Jews in the Holocaust. Dictators like Lenin and Stalin raised up armies of youth that brutally massacred tens of millions of innocent people to expand communism throughout Russia and Eastern Europe. In fact, Lenin once said, Give me four years to teach the children, and the seed I have sown will never be uprooted. Strong men like Chairman Mao had the, pers had the personality, had her personal philosophy to recruit the youth of China into his red guards. His army of young people was willing to betray their own parents and their families for the ideology of Chairman Mao. During the Cultural Revolution, the brainwashed youngsters of the red guards mercilessly killed 20 million people in a 10 year period from 1966 to 1976. I was in Cambodia. I visited the museums from the killing fields, right? And Pol Pot's Red Army was also made up of teenagers and those in their early 20s. Two million people were brutally massacred in the killing fields of Cambodia. In the last decades, we saw genocides in Rwanda, the Intifada in the Middle East, the ethnic cleansing in Bosnia had killed tens of thousands of innocent people. Again, all these atrocities were primarily carried out by young people. See, friends, I've learned whenever God has a great plan, the devil would also scheme an evil plot. I've learned that. I've seen that in my life, my ministry. The greater the call of God on, on a person, the more attack that person comes under. The greater God's call is on a church, more attack comes upon that church. And the greater God's plan is for a generation. God is attacking, hey God, the devil is attacking that generation. And God is attacking the devil, come on. And as much as the Holy Spirit has moved mightily among the young people in the last 100 years, the devil at the same time had also waged a very intense war against youth. He didn't want them to walk in their God-given redemptive purpose. And, and that's why Satan got them to do his dirty deeds by spilling bloods and killing millions of people across the earth. See, friends, why is Satan so nervous about young people? Why? 
Why is he trying his best and aiming all his biggest guns on the next generation? Why is he trying to distract them from pursuing God? I believe because he knows that God has a powerful call on youth. In I've seen that myself. I've, I saw it firsthand what young people can do. Because Satan knows God's plan has always been to use young people at the forefront of his kingdom purpose. Parents, your child in the forefront of his kingdom purpose. Regardless of how young they are, four or five years old, children in revivals have been given open heavens as young as three, four years old of what God intended to do in revival. I mean, if you talk to people who have been through revival, they will tell you stories of how three, four years old would have open heavens of children going into hospitals, laying hands on hospital walls and emptying out cancer wards by the laying on of children's hands. Satan knew that the next generation is at the forefront of God's kingdom purpose. And the cast of young people used by God in the Bible includes some very amazing individuals. Samuel, for example, was a child whom God delivered a needful but difficult message to the high priest Eli. And you know that Samuel's passion for the presence was exemplary. What, what about David, who was... A boy, when God began speaking to him, he was a young shepherd boy when he started writing the Psalms. He was a young boy, the youngest of eight brothers. And David's own father didn't even think that he would be the, the next king and didn't ask him to be part of the anointing ceremony. And while he was, he was a teenager, David slew the giant Goliath and inspired an entire nation against the dreaded Philistines. David was 17 when he received the anointing. Josiah was a boy king through whom God reformed the religious and social state of his country. When dramatic reforms began, do you know how old was Josiah? He was eight years old. He was eight. Don't despise youth or children. He was eight years old when he became king. He was 16 years old when he, when he asked for the, the scriptures the, that was buried because of Israel's backsliding, dust them off and let a reform in an entire nation. He was 16 years old. Esther, an orphan girl, was likely in her early teens when, when she became queen and God used her to save the Jewish people from annihilation. When Israel was in the final stage of backsliding, who did God send to wake them up? Do you, do you know who? was an introverted, shy, prophet named Jeremiah. He was crying all the time. He was called a weeping prophet by theologians. He didn't even believe God could use him to speak. And that's why Jeremiah 1.7 says, Don't say you're a youth, for you shall go to all whom I send you. Whatever I command you, you shall speak. See, Jeremiah didn't think he was qualified to speak. He was just too young. Joseph, the dreamer, the prime minister of Egypt, was only 17 when he received his life assignments in two dreams. What about Timothy, the apostle, the, the disciple of Paul? was just a young adult. Between 19 and 24, historians believe, when he became the pastor of the church in Ephesus, some believe it was a 60,000 members church. Huge! See, friends, all throughout the Bible, God used young people mightily in the forefront of his kingdom. Esther, Solomon, Josiah, Daniel, his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego Mary, Jesus, John the disciple, God chooses young people. Even when the ladies who went to the tomb on Resurrection Sunday and couldn't find Jesus, guess who did they see? Check this verse out. I love it. Mark 16 verse 5. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man. They saw a young man clothed in a long white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. So even when God sent an angel, it was the one who looked like a youth. Psalm 110 verse 3. I love this verse. It says, Your people shall be volunteer in the days of your power. In the beauty now, by the way, that word your people, that, that phrase, if you read in Hebrew, uh, has got the feminine uh, connotation, which means that and the right translation is the woman shall be volunteers in the days of your power. So in this church, we believe, I'm sidetracking, but we believe in the, in the grace God has placed on women like Christine, like Melina, like Joy, and all of you. God has placed tremendous grace on women. Because they shall be volunteers. Men want to be paid. Woman, volunteer. In the days of His power. Come on. In the beauty of holiness. From the womb of the morning. Listen, you, you have the deal of your youth. 
You have the dew of your youth. See, the Amplified Bible makes it even clearer. To you will spring forth your young men who are as the dew. Listen carefully. When God moves in power, I believe His pattern is to raise up young people in such great multitudes that they cover the earth like the morning dew. He will raise them out in great numbers. And we're seeing that across the earth. Why not here? Why not in this church? See, God loves to anoint youth with His Holy Spirit and send them out to do mighty exploits. You see that as a trend throughout much of church history. Let me bring you through it very briefly. In 1536, John Calvin wrote the Institutes of Christian Religion, the first systematic theology textbook in history. He was only 27 years old. He was Andre's age, Axel's age. And Calvin wrote what is now studied by theologians who are 70 years old, 80 years old. And 27 years old, Calvin wrote his thesis. William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, started preaching in the slums of London at the age of 15. My son's age, Titus's age. Who disqualifies 15 years old from preaching? Themselves, adults. Non-believing parents. They were just too young. But Booth wasn't stopped by anyone. He went on to start Salvation Army. Still around today. Charles Spurgeon, regarded by some of the greatest preacher of the 19th century, started ministry at the age of 19. 19! Before he was 30 years old, he built the 5,000-seat Metropolitan Tabernacle in London. It's still there. Go check it out. The Prince of Preachers. I was 19 years old when I was, was 19 when he started preaching. At 30 years old, he built a sizable congregation. In 1976, in 19, in 1716, excuse me, Jonathan Edwards entered Yale University. He was smart, like Andrew and Shuen, very smart. But he was smarter because he was only 13 years old when he went, he went into Yale. By the age of 21, he was pastoring one of the most important churches in America. God used this young man to spark the great awakening that brought thousands into his kingdom. Why not you guys? So why not the scholars in our, in our midst aspiring to be the next Edwards? Awakening the church, calling the nation back to God again. Come on. In 1844, businessman George Williams He's a business person. Started YMCS and evangelistic outreach to businessmen. Guess how old was, was he? 23 years old. He was 23 years old. He was a business person and he started YMCA. It's not a gym. Come on. In the US t t today, YMCA is a gym. It's not a gym. YMCA was an evangelistic ministry that was taking uh, the U.S. by storm. They were discipling young business people. They were discipling men in those days. And the founder was 23 years old. John Wesley was only 26 at Oxford when he started his holy club, a precursor to the great Methodist church. And his ministry sparked a revival on the campus that later spread throughout England and America. Every Methodist church that, that you drive by, you can go back to a young man, 26 years old, who started a club in his school, in his campus, who wanted to live the holy life. And they asked people questions every single week. Have you done this? Have you been thinking about that? And that sparked a great revival. Every corner of the earth, even in Africa, you will find a Methodist church with, with, with a cross. It wasn't, well, as it, 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 it was a lot more livelier, all right, back in those days. It was a revival. There were no church buildings except circuit riders who would be on the horseback riding you know, the length and the breadth of the UK and, and the Americas. And they were preaching the gospel, starting preaching point. Pastors were sent there to take over new parishes. And every year they were sent people out to just plant preaching points. And all, and all the circuit riders were in their, were in their teens and twenties. They weren't overly trained. They were trained, but they were sent. George Whitfield, 1739, was only 20 years old when he joined Wesley's Holy Club. By the time he was 25, he made his first mission trip to America and preached to crowds as large as 30,000. I can go on. 1 John 2 verse 1, 4. And I, and I want to commission all of us with this verse. I've written to you, young men, because you are, you are strong and the word of God abides in you and overcome the wicked one. I believe what this verse means, listen, is that we need to disciple the next generation of youth today. 
See, we have the responsibility of getting the young men and women strong in the Holy Spirit, grounded in the Word, and victorious in the spiritual warfare against Satan's kingdom. It's our responsibility against Satan's kingdom. And that's not the, respons- the responsibility of just the youth ministry. It's our responsibility. We need to bring them in. We need to fill every seat here with people who are younger than us. Which means if you are 15 years old, bring the 12 years old in. If you are 25 years old, bring the 18 years old in. Don't just live for ourselves. We have to disciple those who are younger. It's, a, it's incredible. If you just believe that they can do it, I've seen 15 years old discipling 13 years old. I've seen them at McDonald's with their Bibles open and, and giving Bible study. And they were pretty good. I've got youth pastors who were, who were next to a young a group of youth that were having Bible study and, 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 and overhearing conversations and found out that they were from our youth ministry and texted me and said, they were speaking better than most of my youth leaders. I mean, if you just believe in them. See, I want to just make it practical for us. What does advertisers know about young people that we don't know? See, while today's youth are stressed out and pressurized by heavy schedule, and look at my kids, I know that. My daughter would come back from school and when she uses her phone, I say, please study. She would say, but I've been in school for the whole day. Totally get it. It's true. Their lifestyle priorities are still pretty simple. Social media, friends, music, family, TV, and school. It is in that order of importance. <laughs> Instead of just criticizing the negative influences of, of, of advertisers, of, uh, of Mark Zuckerberg, all right, with his Instagram and his Facebook, why don't we learn what they know about young people that most church leaders don't, most churches don't? Number one, youth are open and flexible. Um, amen. Super open, super flexible. Young people are always willing to try new things and new ideas. They're always buying stuff that are trendy. It's a, a bit strange. Like, you know, they love slime. I mean, even at 13 years old, they were like pushing slime. That's trendy. It was trending slime. They would look at... The, uh, they were like, what else? Spin- spinners. I got no idea what these are. It's, it's a little bit like when we were growing up, all the cards we used to collect. If we tell that to our children, they would think like we are dated, right? Collect cards, what for? But young people are always willing to spend money and try to try new things, and they love new ideas. When I was growing up, pastoring the youth, I looked at all these young men. Chris Wong is not here, but these guys, you know, are super funky with their hairdo. I mean, they would try new hairstyles. They will, know, they, will, they will just try. You name it, many youth will give any new trend a shot. And all the young people say, Amen. Today's young people are Instagrammers and YouTubers who do not think twice about sharing their opinions online with strangers whom they call friends. This generation wants their opinions to be heard and they want to make a difference. They are creative and they speak openly of their feelings. Now listen, this is not necessarily a bad thing. Because if young people are that open to new things, that means that they must also be very open to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's just how we present it. That's why you have to to wear that jacket. (laughs) You, you, (laughs) youth are impressionable. Number two, it is scientifically and biologically proven that in puberty, during adolescence, teenage years, they are the most moldable period of a person's life. You know, my kids tell me this, Dad, there's a generational gap. You don't understand us. I want to prove to you that I understand <laughs> you. It hasn't changed. The trends have changed. The dressing has changed. But young people have not changed. See, especially true between age 10 and 19 years old. Youth are not set in their ways. They are moldable. Advertisers know that they can influence the buying patterns of teenagers and young adults. For, the ver- for this very reason, we've got pornographers, drugs, cigarette pushers aiming at 10 years old to the 14 years old, trying to get them hooked during the formative season of their lives. So why? Because youth are impressionable. 
whoever captures their minds and imaginations will eventually dominate the next generation. That's the power of Disney. It's the power of Hollywood. It's the power of let it go. It's, that's how powerful Disney is. Let it go. What this all means for the church is also very powerful. You, you have to understand young people make the very best disciples. Why? Because they are very pliable, teachable, and moldable. And all the young people say amen. And once they are turned on for Jesus, they will become the best soul winners and revivalists in their school. I saw it myself. I've seen it myself. I, I've, I've seen young people, 13 years old, capturing a vision of taking the entire schools for Jesus. 13 years old, standing outside the school, giving out cards to strangers, walking up to strangers from a different school, talking to them about Jesus because they want to pioneer a new school under the influence of a youth pastor. Happens to be Daniel Chua. <laughs> I've challenged young people to fill an entire bus to come to a youth event and they would go back to their school and push out cards like this. And they would fill not just one, but four buses from one school. We've given out stickers and with a vision of, of uh, invading the one quarter of Singapore. All right? We said we're not big enough, but we can take a quarter of Singapore, the, the eastern part of Singapore. And they would go with stickers, with cards, and they would push uh, out to every young person they can find, every youth that they can see on the street, in the toilets too. And, and what happened next, you know, is amusing because a young person will receive three, four cards. They were shocked by the number of times they receive a card that they will scream when they receive a card. You go into a toilet and you will see our stickers on toilet walls just in front of the urinal. I didn't ask them to do, do that. It was, it was their own creativity. Why? Because young people are impressionable. See, adults can be tough nuts to crack. And I say it with humility, in, in myself included. Trying to influence and motivate a lukewarm adult to live out their faith for God in their daily lives is a very difficult task, even on a very good day. Because why? We're just too set in our worldview and our belief systems. But young people are different. Their minds are open, their hearts are soft, they're desperately seeking for help and hope, and they are on a spiritual journey seeking after truth, meaning, purpose. And they can be challenged and they can be changed. Number three, youth are idealistic. And advertisers feed the idealism of young, of the, of the young, that they can be somebody great, that they can have a cause to fight for. And yet in most congregations, youth groups are costless and clueless. What an incredible opportunity it is for all of us it is a time to let this generation know that the greatest cause for anyone is the cause of the king and his kingdom. It's the cause of Jesus. That's the greatest cause. People ask me, Daniel, do you regret giving your life in your 20s uh, to build a youth ministry? Never regretted a single Never regretted. Because looking at what God is doing through them, whether it's in church or outside of church, living life with a purpose and a vision is inspiring, least to say. Number four. Youth have the capacity for faith. They have an inbuilt capacity to believe whatever they are told. And this is why no matter how smart they are in their studies or how seemingly mature they are about life, it is still mandatory to put in place movie ratings, health warnings on secret packs, laws against child labor, and sex with minors. Why? Because youth can be naive and believe easily whatever that is presented to them and we have to protect them. And having a faith... Uh, to believe is not a bad thing because the Bible says in Mark 10 verse 15 that whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. See, when God wanted to bring the Messiah into the world, He didn't choose a mature person. He chose a teenage virgin girl named Mary. And when the angel came and when Mary was presented with the vision, with the, with the prophetic word, Mary's response was, Be it unto me according to your word. Mary simply believed. Mary just said, I believe you. And in like manner, God needed a forerunner. So guess what? Chose a couple who were in their later years of life and the angel came and spoke to John. And John's response, the mother of, uh, not John, spoke to Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, and John's and Zechariah's reaction is unbelief. How can this be? He said. 
and he and he and he became mute. See the two different response, different response to a teenager. Be it unto me. I believe you. This can be done. Virgin getting pregnant. Yes, and amen. I'll count. I've counted the cost, and I'll say yes. Present the same prophetic word to an adult. How can this be? My wife is already is seventy years old. How to get pregnant? That's the difference. Young people have the capacity for faith. Just think about this. Jesus gathered a group of disciples from within the 1330 window. Jesus himself was only 30 years old. And he told this bunch of 1330 window generation people, right, go out and take the whole gospel for the kingdom. And frankly speaking, only a group of young people would have accepted this kind of challenge. You say that to the 50 years old, they'll, they'll be saying, I, I'm, I'm too old, I've got too much to lose, I've got a family to take care of, but give the challenge to a 15 years old, John the Beloved, or to a 26 years old, Peter and James the fishermen, they will take that on without a second thought. And they'll say, I'll do it. Willing to die for the cause of the king and his kingdom. Is there any wonder if you go to IHOP today, not International House of Pancake, International House of Prayer in Kansas City, those who are in the prayer room and rocking like Lou Ingle or pacing the floor like some of the guys, teenagers and 20-something, log on to their webcast and you will see very few grey-headed people. They're all teenagers who believe God has called them to spend their life waiting before the Lord. Go to battle of all those in BSSM. Teenagers, 20-something, with very few second-career people with white hair. Most of them are teenagers, 20-something, who want to be used by God. All youth, all young adults. Why? Because they believe that God can use them to make a difference. Number five, youth are the treasure. One, one marketing exec once commented, that's where the money is. See, unfortunately, the church world has not even recognized the value of young people. I spoke to a senior pastor once years ago when I was pastoring the youth and uh, his church was huge with a nice building but very few teenagers. A, hand, a handful. He was speaking to me and he said, that, uh, he, said, he said to me face to face, he said, Daniel, why waste time? These young people, no money, can't contribute to church building fund. They are a liability. Exact words. I, and I said, Pastor, that's wrong thinking. Young people, no money now. 20 years on, they'll be very rich. Young people will grow up committed while your old people would start to slowly expire. Two years later, the same pastor came to me and said, Daniel, can you help me with my youth? See, young people are not just, they don't just have treasure, they are the treasure with their openness, their flexibility, and their daring to dream, and with a capacity for faith, they are a powerful force that can change our world for the cause of Jesus Christ. But what do young people want? I, I'm trying to give you a call and a mandate. Church, we need more young people in this church. You know what, what inspired me to start a youth group when I was 24? The church then that was part of was maybe twice the size of this church, about 300 people then. We were all youth, grew up. I was in my early 20s, like, like some of you, and I was looking around one Sunday. And all I saw was one 16 years old. And God spoke to me and said, the future of this church is at stake. Strange word. I, I mean, they're all still very young. You know, and so it's just me feeling old at 24. And I went to my pastor and said, can I take this 16 years old and let's start a youth group. And the rest was history. It's just incredible what God, you know, when someone is just foolish enough to just believe him that this can be done. I mean, first of all, young people, I believe all they're looking for is just, you know, loving, caring family. I mean, balancing freedom with structure, trust with rules. Trying that with my household, trying, still trying, a bit of structure, some freedom, trust with some rules, handphone come into my room. I mean, we're trying, but the most important thing is loving and caring family. And a church that makes God real, the faith fun, and make it relevant. A church that doesn't strangle them with a list of do's and don'ts, but believe in them. So I, I want to close this morning by make it really practical for all of us. Parents, young adults, all the adults here, young people, I want to make it super practical. How do we reach young people? How do we impact them? How, how, how can we grow the youth population in this church? Because I am concerned. 
And I want to see our church impacting the teenagers, the children, the 20-something. But how can we reach them? Number one, we, have, we need to get to know them. They are not a subcult. They are not just one small group called Legacy. All right? they, are, they are not, I know that they're in, they're in, even the Instagram name is a, is a little bit unusual. But they are not a subculture. They are not just your friend's children. They are not just, ah, just my teenagers. Listen, you have to see them with the eyes of Jesus. They have to believe that they can make a difference and get to know them. Let them know that they have an older person who understands and cares about them and will be there when they need it. All of us can invest into those who are younger. Those of you who are in your 40s can reach out to those in their 20s. Those of you in their 20s to those in their teens. And all the teenagers serve in gush. Start serving in church. Don't just be seat warmers and pew warmers. No pews here. But start activating your faith in ministry and serve. Christine speaks so well because she, she serves in children's church and when she was 21, confident. But when she was a teenager, she was serving. You want to speak like Auntie Christine? Serve in children's church. Amen. You want to move in the power of the Holy Spirit like Auntie Christine? Serve in children's church. That you, you prophesy over kids with life, they wouldn't say that's the wrong prophetic word. They would just receive it. They simply believe. Get to know them. Number two, encourage them. Adolescents are at a season in their lives where they're going through a lot of instability. They're friends, they're crushers. I mean, they need to have courage put into them. They need to be inspired and challenged to reach greater heights. Encourage them. Number three, challenge them to listen, serious, radical Christianity. I've learned, friends, in my time in ministry that it was, it was never playing games and sugarcoating the faith that inspire young people to live life to the fullest. No, it's, it's all about challenging them to put their faith on the line, to live a radical faith in their school. And that's how it's done. Challenge them to sacrifice. Challenge them to radical Christian living. Challenge them to overnight prayer. And they will do it. Challenge them you know, to walk the street, give out flies. They will do it. They will be shy, but they will do it. Why? Because young people need a good challenge. Amen. Create a positive learning environment where they feel wanted, respected, and safe. It's okay to fail. It's, all, it's okay to be scared. It's okay to open in prayer. I still remember when the teenagers, when I was 20, 24, people like Jin Jie, who's a great cell leader right now, and a few of their friends, you know, they've never prayed publicly, but I'll tell them, because we had morning prayer, so I said, come and join me in the morning prayer, and I'll take the microphone, I'll be 24, 25 years old, they were 16, so they were, they were about 17 years old, and there'll be my pastor there, there'll be some of the church leaders there, and because I believe in young people, I'll say, I'll, I'll pray, and you follow after me, right? and you pray, and I'll pass the microphone to uh, the likes of like, and they'll be like struggling to pray, but that's how they cut their teeth in leadership. Pray! Give thanks for food. Start with, the teen, start with your teenagers in, in, at home. Ask them to pray. Amen. Coming to a close. Number four, journey with them through life's problems. And they have a lot of issues. <laughs> Just walk with them. But number five, listen. Be a role model. And I'm just not saying this to teenagers, but even to the, to the adults here. Do you know that in that, people in their 20s, when I was 25, I was looking for a role model in how it looks like. How does it look like for me to be married to my wife, have kids, and still live a kingdom-centered life? I'm looking for role models. I can't find. I can't find. I find young families at the back, the back row of the church. I find them not responding to the Lord. And I said to myself, I don't want to be that. Can I say to all the adults, be a role model. When Show those in their 20s what it looks like to pursue God passionately and still, still have a kid. Show them what, what it means to carry your child during worship, helping them raise their hands when they are like three or four and don't know what worship looks like. Help them, show them. And then people who are like Joshua's age will get married soon and no proposals yet cannot. All right. And, they, and they'll be looking and they will have a vision of what it looks like. See, when I was pastoring in my previous church, we have to go for at least 
two services. Of course, I went for my own service, but I'll go for an adult service. I'll be in my suit, and my son will be in the front. Tyler's like two or three years, years old. And it's interesting, but you know, they'll always be with me in the front, and I'll be holding them. I'll be helping Tyler raise his hand to worship. And because they are so young, they'll just do it. And, and they'll be looking at the way you worship. And parents, can we model that so that those who are getting married, those who are married, those who will get married, have kids, they will look at us and see what a kingdom family look like. Model. Still serve God. It's okay. It's not, it's not hard. Bring your whole family. You know, there's a family that, uh, that was such an inspiration when, when I was growing up. They're called the Low Family in Cornerstone, right? And I tell you, the Low Family would all be ushers. It's very cute. People like Dominic and Donovan and Sabrina, and they were all, they are, they, are, they, are, they are now great leaders in that church. But when they were children, the parents would bring them and they would dress up with a tie. I still remember Dominic with a little skinny tie, and they'll be ushering. When the parents were there together, they'll be ushering and say, Welcome to church. Why not here? Why? Model. When I saw that, I said to myself, Can be done. Hallelujah. Can I done on stage, please? See, friends, I believe we can change our world one young person at a time. And a young person to us is very, very relative. All right. To me, Zhong Wei is a young person. To Zhong Wei, Titus is a young person. To Titus, Isaac is a young person. <laughs> there always be people who are younger than us. What's my, what's my challenge? Look down the road. Who's walking in the path that you are lighting up? We can light up a path for the next generation. We can change the world one young person at a time. You heard this story, but I was writing a piece this week and I was reminded again of this super inspiring story. And I want to just relate that to you again. There was a Sunday school teacher. His name is Edward Kimball. He was concerned about one of his young Sunday school students. Who Now in those days, Sunday school, it's uh, not just for children, but also for those in their teens. All right? And there was a teenager who was working in a shoe store in town. One day, Edward Kimball visited this teenager at the store and found him working in the back stocking shelves and he led him to Christ there and then this teenager's name is D.L. Moody D.L. Moody eventually left the shoe store to become one of the greatest preachers and evangelists of all time in fact if you go to if you go to uh, the US there's Moody Bible Institute it's named after D.L. Moody in fact R.A. Torrey wrote a book it's a great book called Why Did God Use D.L. Moody amazing his surrender, his humility. If you read that book, it will inspire you. I challenge you. Moody, whose international speaking took him to the, to, to, to the UK, preached in a little chapel pastored by a young man with the imposing name of F.B. Meyer. All right, it's a long name, but F.B. Meyer. In his sermon, Moody told an emotionally charged story about a Sunday school teacher who personally went to every student in his class and led each of them to Christ. He was relating the story of Edward Kimball. The message changed Pastor Meyer's ministry, inspiring him to become an evangelist like Moody. Over the years, Meyer came to America. While speaking in, in Northfield, a young preacher heard Meyer say, if you're not willing to give up everything for Christ, are you willing to be made willing? What a prayer. God, help me be willing to be made willing. That remark led Wilbur Chapman to respond to the call of God on his life. Chapman went on to become one of the most effective evangelists of all time. A volunteer by the name of Billy Sunday helped set up his crusades and learn how to preach by watching Chapman. Billy Sunday eventually took over Chapman's ministry, becoming one of the most dyma dynamic evangelists of the century. Billy Sunday's preaching brought thousands to Christ. Inspired by a 1924 Billy Sunday crusade in Charlotte, North Carolina, a group of Christians gave themselves to reaching their city for Christ. The group invited the evangelist Mordecai Ham to come and hold a series of evangelistic meetings in 1932. A lanky 16-year-old sat in a huge crowd one evening, spellbound by the message the white-haired preacher gave. 
Each evening, the preacher seemed to be shouting and waving his finger at the young man. Night after night, the teen came and finally went forward to give his life to Christ. That teenager's name was Billy Graham. Billy Graham has communicated the gospel to more people than any person in history. It all started with a Sunday school teacher named Kimball. And millions have been affected by his decision to go into a shoe store and share Christ with one person. Millions more will continue to feel his impact. Can something like this happen today? Of course. I believe God wants to use us. He wants to use you to change the world. It starts with just loving the next generation. What's the call to to action? Love the person next to you. Volunteer in Gash. Take a teenager out for lunch. You know, especially when, when, when you see a child struggling, walk next to him and pray for him. You know, I still remember when I was pastoring the youth, you know, I'll, you know I spent most of, of my time. I, I spent most of my time, and it was very small now. I, I was youth pastor. I spent most of my time going for walks with teenagers. I'll be walking from Odin Katong to Parkway with a teenager or two around me. We will be walking, and he or she will be like pouring out their frustration, how upset they are with their parents. And some of the parents are pastors. And they'll be like upset with the, with the parents who are pastors. And they'll be pouring their heart out. And I'll be just listening and I'll be encouraging them. And I'll be praying for them. And I'll be taking them to youth group and said, if you're not coming, I'll drive to your house and pick you up. I think it's the same story for Christine, right? Pastor Ken will come and pick you up from your home. It's amazing. Do you you know where I learned this from? I learned this from my pastor when I was growing up. His name is Rupert. And all he did was drive me around. Let's stand. And and just land a listening ear. That's all. That's all he did. That's all he did. Now, he's not, he's a wonderful person. But he's not the most charismatic leader like we know, all right? Like, uh, He's not a great teacher like Andre, though he's a great speaker, right? He's, he's just a wonderful adult that show can concern for, for struggling youth. Like, likewise with Pastor Ken. Likewise with me walking around. Likewise with what Axel is doing now with a few of the teenagers. Likewise, all of us can do the same. So what's my challenge? I think there's space in this church for people who are younger. Amen. But it starts with all of us. You might be in your 20s or 30s. Uh, it starts with all of us remembering our own youth. When we were young and the, and the way God met us and the way God impacted us. It's usually through a nameless, unknown encourager. The invisible Barnabases that no one else knows except us. And so let's close our eyes and let's sing this song. And let's give ourselves again to the Lord as a congregation. And from henceforth, let's be committed to reaching the next generation. Don't think about yourself, guys. Don't just think about what you can get from this church. Let's think about what we can give to the next generation in this church. Thank you, Lord.